Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. In this episode, we continue our conversation on how to innovate within bureaucracies. In a previous episode, I had the pleasure to sit down with Dr. Eric Hazeltine to discuss this topic, more or less from an agency perspective, on how to get things done within the walls of a bureaucracy. And so now I wanted to turn our attention to how to actually get through that door, especially from the perspective of entrepreneurs and small and medium-sized companies, including startups and other companies developing cutting-edge and oftentimes niche technologies. I'm pleased to have with me today entrepreneur and business executive Rick Liu. Rick has been a successful industry leader in the aerospace and defense industry for the past 30 years. Based in Silicon Valley, Rick has founded two successful startup companies in the electronic warfare, comms, and C5ISR industry, focusing on military wireless and modular open systems architecture technologies. He has extensive background in RF engineering, systems engineering, and technical management. He also holds several advanced degrees from leading universities. Rick and I have worked closely together through the AOC's government and industry affairs programs over the recent years, and so I wanted to have him on the show to provide his perspective, that of an entrepreneur, to this topic of innovation within bureaucracies. Rick, it's great to have you here on From the Crow's Nest. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to have you on to the show to talk a little bit about uh, what you've learned over the years of your success with the startup companies that you've run and brought to success and engage you a little bit about kind of what are some of the things that other startup companies can do, but also what are some of the reforms that DOD needs to make, in your opinion, to make it easier to innovate? Because as we move along and technology continues to advance rapidly, DOD has to figure out a way to keep up. So, you know, I want to thank you for taking time. And just to start off, you know, I want to ask you to help the listeners come up to speed with who you are a little bit. Talk a little bit about some of the, the companies that you've run over the recent years and what do you bring to the table in terms of entrepreneurship? Uh, thanks, Ken. Yeah, so a little bit about my background. So I kind of have, I have an engineering background. I live here in Silicon Valley, and at some point, someone always wants to start a company doing something. And uh, I started off my career being a wireless engineer, working in the satellite systems uh, arena. And then one day, I got the, the bug to go ahead and try to start something. And uh, me and some friends got together, and we, we didn't know what we were doing. And that was part of the magic. Uh, we were all ignorant of how hard it is to uh, start a company, but we were into it. We liked the engineering and we thought we were going to be building a networking company. And so we started a company in 1999, I think it was, and uh, got a small office, didn't have any money. We had a computer and a laptop and we didn't even have money for a phone. So we just used ourselves and and uh, we started building networking technologies that we knew were interesting and innovative. Our first customer was a government customer, uh, the Coast Guard, actually. And they liked what we were doing, but we were a sub. They, we, they started paying us as a subcontractor underneath a prime. 
And that's when I started to learn about the bureaucracy and, and the levels within DOD. That was my first inkling. And I had no idea what I was in for, quite frankly. The contract went well. We delivered. And then uh, the customer called us up and said, yeah, you know, we'd love to work with you some more, but we got a very small job that the prime can't afford to sub you as. Uh, how about you just do it for us and we just give you a small amount? Went, okay, sure, we'll do it. When we did that, then they led us to an Air Force customer and they said, well, you really got to get clearances for the next stage. And we thought, well, okay, what's that? So, I mean, we were that ignorant about doing work within the DOD. Eventually, as we got deeper and deeper, we got to hire a couple more engineers and we started working. And then we realized that there are so many levels, so many layers within the DOD we had to get in touch with to navigate through the entire bureaucracy. We had to understand what each level knows and what they want. So like there was the procurement PEOs, there was the S&T community, there's government, there's the primes, there's the mid-tier companies, and there's the startups. And we had to learn about all those. And within each layer, there's also sub-layers. So for example, we had to learn about how to do DCAA audited books. I just started picking up books and reading about that and doing spreadsheets. And I got a consultant. He walked me through the first audit. And so I spent my days and nights going through spreadsheets, learning about you know all the intricacies of government finance. Then we had to learn how to do patents. So I went to the library, went and got a book, literally brought it back and ended up writing many dozens of provisional patent applications and all the work that we were doing. I just took three weeks out and learned how to do that. Did all the filings, worked with all the folks. For security, I, I ended up just calling people endlessly over on the East Coast, asking them, well, how do you do this? What's the correct forms? And they were very nice. They started walking me through it. I think they almost took pity on me because they thought I was crazy being a small business doing this myself. So I ended up being our, our FSO. So I learned about that. I learned about how to do the processing, learned about security, learned about the trainings, the briefings, all of that. Contracts, extremely hard. I had to learn how to speak in their language. So I actually went online once and I found somewhere I remember years ago, I found an example of an exam for contract officers who want to take it to the next stage. And so I looked at it and I actually took the exam for myself. So I understood how KOs think about things and you know how they negotiate things. And I thought, okay, this is good. I'll learn about that. So to follow up on that, we hear this relatively frequently, you know, when we have a group of individuals, very smart, and they have this great idea. And then you, you just went through a number of different, not just a number of different layers, but kind of realizing that one layer leads to multiple other layers. How, as an entrepreneur, do you prioritize what your next step is in the face of just, you know, a belief in your idea and, and wanting to, you know, it's got to be hard at some point to say, okay, I just have this idea. I know that it'll work. I know it's a good idea. I know they need it. But in order to even get there, like I have to go through all these levels. Is, is it discouraging? Is it exciting? Where along that path do you feel like a lot of entrepreneurs get derailed? I think the biggest thing that an entrepreneur needs to know if they're going to if they're going to do a, a startup uh, that services the DOD is that it's really about relationships and it's really about learning all the layers of things that occur everywhere, whether it's government, whether it's procurement, whether it's contracts, whether it's finance, whether it's security, whether it's whatever. I mean, there's so many things that you have to learn about. I find it 
kind of exciting to always try to learn and new and grow. If you don't have that type of mindset, that if you think it's like a slog to have to do finance because you don't like finance or you have to learn patent law because you don't like patent law, it's not going to work out. You got to have an interest to really try to learn and grow. And that's fun. But I do think that understanding that every company doesn't act the same and it's based upon their size, my experience, understanding their motivations is key. And that all happens through lots and lots of social contact, lots of just talking and meeting with them. You got to get on planes, you got to meet with them, you got to sit down, understand what, why they do the things that they do. So like, for example, small businesses, it's all about cash flow. It's all about continually reinvesting your profits into new products, uh, new employees, new pursuits, continually, never ending transferring your profits into hard assets like intellectual property, like patents, like technology, trademarks, positions. If you're a big business, it's more about market share, earnings growth. You know, technology is interesting, but winning a program is more interesting. And for government uh, procurement PEO type program offices, it's about low risk. It's about fielding something with low risk and minimizing the operational costs. But for S&T, it's about high technology, new ways of benefiting the warfighters, and quite frankly, getting something fielded in the first place. Because a lot of the things they do never get fielded. So that's their motivation. So in a recent episode, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I sat down with uh, Dr. Eric Hazelty, and he said something very similar, you know, from the inside, is that it's all about relationships, and you have to cultivate the right ones, and oftentimes, you know, stress, he stresses using the informal relationships. It's not so much the meeting that you schedule, it's the dinner that you have after hours with somebody who you know can help you down the road. One of the points that he makes, I want to get your perspective just, you know, from your experience, he talks about, you know, not waiting for the bureaucracy, you know, kind of you know, making sure that you use your relationships to to basically get out in front of the bureaucracy. Don't give them a chance to kind of catch up to you. Um, and and what he says, basically, ultimately, you know, prescriptively, you know, choke the life out of your new technology, your fragile, you know, collaborative effort. When you talk about relationships, knowing the right people, how do you approach it from a matter of you know that this kind of concept of informal relationship, kind of outside of the normal channels of business? And also, how do you, you know, balance that with working with the bureaucracy, but also kind of getting out ahead of it a little bit and knowing where it's going to go and, and getting there first so that you can, you can shape how they respond? I never, ever walked into a customer meeting saying, oh, here's a guy that can help me out in the future. Let me make sure I know him. It, it wasn't really like that. It was more like you just walked into the room and you generally knew that everybody in the room there wanted to do something, you know, productive. And so you just start talking to them and you start building that relationship. You call them. You have to have a lot of touch time. You have to call them like, you know, once every two weeks or once every week and just say, hey, here's where we're at. Here's what's happening. What do you hear is happening? And before you know it, you, you start building up champions. And the champions are the ones that are going to be your source of branching out into other areas. They're the ones that will make the bona fides for you when you go to be introduced to the next customer. And that's key. It's not like 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 you're targeting people to say, oh, that guy's going to be big someday or that 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 person's going to help me. It's more like, well, you just work with everybody that wants to have a common goal. And then eventually one or two will say, you know what? We really like your stuff and we're going to champion it for you. 
they may not say the words, but they end up doing that. And they end up saying, you got to talk to this person. This person needs to hear what you're doing. And before you know it, you branch over there and you just keep branching. So entrepreneurship is really about hard work. And that's what this is. It's just hard work where hard work meets luck, you know, and luck is really just opportunity. It's statistical. I remember being at a course in graduate school where they brought in these uh, billion dollar entrepreneurs talking about how they started their businesses. And I remember listening to them and writing down everything they said. At the end of the course, the professor said, tell us 33 things you learned this quarter. I looked back through the notes and I realized that everybody had contradicted themselves, but they all said one thing or two things actually that they all did. They mentioned by word. They all mentioned the word luck and they all mentioned the words hard work, all of them. So really that's it. Being successful in no matter what business area, whether it's the DOD or whether it's whatever, it's really just about always never quitting and just continually building relationships. Someday something's going to happen. You're going to get a break. And if you're there at the right time, at the right moment, you get to, to jump on, on, on that lucky break. And then things grow from there. There's, there's no secret. Nobody's smarter than the next person. I can tell you that. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that are not all that smart. And I know a lot of really, really intelligent engineers that should have made it, but didn't. It's all because of luck, but it's because of how hard they work to get there. That's all. And that's very interesting because, I mean, I, I for me personally, you know, I've, I've never been one that has ascribed to ever getting a lot of good luck. But, you know, before coming to AOC, I did try my hand at consulting. But one of the challenges that I always ran into was risk. How much was I r- willing to risk to take that next step, to even open up those opportunities where luck could actually factor into the next iteration or the next step? You mentioned earlier that you have to take risks. How, how do you, as an entrepreneur, take your idea calculate the the amount of risk that you can take or or know the amount of risk that your customer is willing to take and pursue that while understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, luck has a, a major role to play. I mean, that's kind of hard to feel very confident if, if you have to take a risk and that you're kind of hoping that luck comes your way a little bit. So could you talk a little bit how risk kind of influences uh, that that process? Yeah, risk is obviously the name of the game. You have to take risks and calculated risks, but you don't take gambles and there's a difference. If you take a gamble, it's like rolling dice. But if you take a calculated risk, it's because you have an extra 5% where you think like, you know what? I know this customer needs this type of technology. I know that this is going to be important. I'm going to build something and I'm going to absorb a certain type of cost up front. And I have a reason to believe that they could buy it later. That's really all that happens. There's no other deeper calculus than that. And you just go and do it. So it's kind of a, the decisions are actually not made with a terrible amount of thought, believe it or not, at least in my experience. It's more along the lines of, we have some value in something that we do here. We know that it's needed over there. Let's go contact them. The moment they come around and they start to give you an indication of, yeah, you know, this could be used. We know some guys who might use this. We know some group who might use that. You start to put it all together and you get a, you get a gut feel for it. And then finally, you just pull the trigger and say, I'm going to go for this and I'm going to go build this and let's see if it works. And, you know, nothing ever turns out like you plan and you keep feeling your way through it. But that's what hard work is that you, you continually adapt to what the environment is down the road. What a customer tells you one day may not be true the next day. 
and you may have built something and when you get there, it's not needed anymore. But that's okay because now you have another customer on the left who was interesting or on the right who showed up suddenly. And so you just keep following the money. So that's really how it goes for, for a young startup engineer. You have to follow it until you get that break. Hello, everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. A BAE Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating disruptive next generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Lab specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing to high-level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology and for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA Systems, Electronic Systems, product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work at classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. A mentor of mine a couple years ago, he mentioned to me, you know, he's like, don't allow yourself to fail but be open to succeeding in ways that you didn't anticipate to succeed. In, in, in other words, don't kind of limit your 
definition of success, but just make sure that you you don't fail. And I kind of hear that's what you're saying in, in that in that light where you know you take a calculated risk. You're not exactly sure of the outcome, but you're putting yourself in a position to say, hey, yeah, this success is going to lead me in this direction or that direction, and that's good. And just kind of hedge yourself against failing by you know missing the opportunity or or not taking the risk that you can take. Yes, I would agree with that, that there's always a, a complete unknown when you jump into a certain pursuit. However, what I do want to uh, make sure that I come across accurately is here is that when people say fail, what does that mean? If you build a set of technologies and it doesn't work the first time or the third time or the fourth time, that's actually good failure. That's like, okay, you're building it out. You're, 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 you're working through it. Technology doesn't ever work the very first time you build it. That's the fail often that people talk about when they say fail often. But what you're talking about is a different definition. So when an entrepreneur decides that he wants to navigate through a large bureaucracy like the DOD, if you go and build something and it works and you try it and a customer doesn't end up buying it, that particular customer you targeted for, that's not necessarily failure because you have something that works now. You have something in value in front of you, which as long as you continue to develop those relationships, they will help you find another customer for it or another angle. Or if it's tweaked a little bit, it could go in this other direction. That's that's the path. The path of success is never direct. It's always meandering until you hit it. So looking at it from DOD's perspective, you know, it can be a challenge to really know what the what the customer wants or needs. And, and there's a lot of steps that take place internally that aren't necessarily open to outside companies, you know, in terms of regulations and, and certain key parameters for a new technology. Within DOD, I mean, DOD talks a lot about, hey, we need to innovate. We need to keep up with the pace of technology. We need to keep our, our, our advantage, our military edge against, you know, emerging threats and so forth. Over the last 20 years, 30 years of working with DOD, what are some of the steps that DOD specifically has taken that you're like, this is exactly what DOD needs to do to unleash innovation? And then, of course, I'll follow that up and you can go ahead and answer that too. But like, what are some of the things that they haven't figured out yet how to do properly in terms of innovation? Well, they have done lots of different types of funding, uh, small funding programs like the SBIR program, the SIBA program, which is the greatest because that really gets people off their feet. That helps with innovation. They'll take early stage ideas, allow them to write a white paper, make a prototype and get to a phase two, so on and so forth. Those are great. They used to have a program called the Rapid Innovation Fund, which I don't think was reapproved for FY20 and beyond, but that for a while was interesting. Those were actual program requirements that were funded, that were flowed down and small businesses were allowed to compete for them. So I think it would be nice to have that program reauthorized. That's one thing they could do to continue some more innovation. There's the DIU they put together to try to bring in you know, non-traditionals. That's a good thing too. I think the recent uh, movements the government has done towards uh, moving towards open standards is a really good thing because that'll open up a lot of competition for small and medium-sized businesses. Having standards-based def- definitions for how, for example, mil- military electronics is built is important. And that allows lots and lots of companies to proliferate because you can have a one or two people who have an expertise in building a computer, let's say, uh, they can spin out and they can do their own, they can go for it and they can build a card or a module or a software piece 
that fits that standard, and then the government can take the best of breed. Those movements are all over the place. As you know, you probably have had other podcasts about this, CMOS, SOSA, POST, varieties of names. But these are all things that the DOD is doing right in terms of stimulating innovation. I think that small businesses, it's all about innovation. And large businesses, it's all about market share. So they're less about innovation in a way. They may say they're about innovation, but my, my experience is they're really about winning programs and getting the support and sustainment uh, stages because that's really of value to them. And that's what they do great. And they can't, you know, that's actually where they shine. But creating and inventing something brand new still always stays with the small garage shops. They're the ones that, that's where it all starts. And then eventually one out of a thousand ideas will flow up and then it'll grow and then it'll branch and then it'll adapt and then it'll change and it'll become a thousand new things. And that's how our entire economy runs. I mean, you look throughout history and I believe, I think I saw a study once that showed that a lot of startup companies were started during recessions because people had ideas and they realized that they really weren't growing with innovation within a, within a larger bureaucracy. So they broke out and started their own thing and they ended up becoming huge. A lot of them didn't make it, of course, but a lot of them did. And so the message is that the smaller you get, the faster decision cycles you can have. You can focus more on what's, what's important, which is uh, the technology development and the relationship building. And you don't have to focus as much on things like, you know, what large bureaucracies have to worry about, uh, organizational movements, constant uh, overhead meetings and things like that. Uh, those things are, are necessary in large organizations, but they're not very good for innovation. So you've had a lot of success over the last 30 years. And in the introduction, I mentioned, you know, we've worked together you know, through the AOC on a lot of government industry affairs types of activities. And, and it's been really interesting to see you here you talk a lot about the need for open standards and, and to see a lot of that come to fruition in recent years. Looking forward, what really continues to excite you about working in the defense sector in, the, in that trade space, whether it's current endeavors that you're undertaking or, or, or ideas that you have about the, the, the next step? What keeps you excited and engaged in, in, in this space moving forward? What I see happening uh, with the, the latest trend towards uh, open standards and things like that is that finally, finally, the DOD is going to go the way of the computer industry, which learned a long time ago that having uh, open published standards allows uh, vast competition to occur. And I'm excited about that. If I'm not the one making the best equipment, then someone should replace me. That's how I look at it. And I think that's great. I think that's what's great about, you know, entrepreneurship in general is that the best and the most adaptable survive and keep going and keep growing. And finally, the DOD can set up an ecosystem of industry that will continually compete. I love the competition aspect. That's what gets me going in the morning is competition. I always feel like there's always somebody that's going to try to out-innovate me. And you got to work harder. And I love that. I, I, I love getting up in the morning and saying, okay, someone's nipping at my heels or someone's already ahead of me. How do I get back in the game? How do I out innovate? How do I make the next great thing? And that's a good thing. 
that 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 is the heart of an entrepreneurial spirit, you know. So the work that we're doing, which is in CMOS and SOSA, is great. Uh, the Army created CMOS so that they can open it up to competition, and it's the best thing they ever did, and uh, in my opinion. And you are going to see a proliferation of companies now, and I can't wait to see those companies, quite frankly. So long after I'm gone, this industry is going to be very, very open and competitive, military electronics, that is and wireless. And I'm, that's what I'm proud to have been a part of, is seeing it at its infancy and seeing it grow. This is the most exciting time for that. Well, great. Well, that, that is all the time that we have for this episode, Rick. It's always a pleasure to, to talk with you and to, and to work with you. And I hope to have you back on the show again in the near future. But I really appreciate everything you said. And I, I think it's a really good outline for, for how to succeed in this very uh, complicated trade space. So thank you for your time and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks, Ken. Very much appreciate it. Had a great time. Talk to you soon. That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I want to thank my guest, Rick Liu, for joining me. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please take some time to let us know how we're doing. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.